the world is a dangerous place. So says Philip Yancey in his new book, Where the Light Fell. Since the 1970s, Yancey has been one of the most prolific and insightful writers in the Christian world. And no, that picture is not from the 70s. He still wears his hair like that. But this latest book is a memoir, reflecting on the people and forces that shaped his life and his faith. And remembering his five-year-old self, he writes, The world is a dangerous place. I am learning. Twice I fall on the central heat register that warms our house, and for weeks afterwards I wear a grid of burn marks on my hands and legs. Black widow and brown recluse spiders hide in the corners of the crawl space. We run barefoot across thorns and rusty cans and scrape our backs ducking through barbed wire fences. Bees, hornets, wasps, and yellow jackets zoom around looking for young boys to attack. He goes on to describe the the larger fears he would encounter as he grew up poor and fatherless in the Jim Crow South of the 1950s. Neighborhood bullies, eviction notices on their front door, school principals wielding hickory sticks, Measles, mumps, polio, which claimed the life of his father. Air raid drills, crosses burning on his neighbor's lawns. Fundamentalist preachers describing the fires of hell. Well, the world is no less dangerous in the 2020s. I I think we'd all agree. Uh, We've beaten back some of the threats that Yancey mentions, but many of them are still with us. And we have a whole new set of fears to add to the list. Terrorism, pandemics, school shootings, hate crimes, cyberbullying, climate change. We're living in an in-between time, between the already and the not yet. Christ has come, inaugurating a kingdom of love and peace, but that kingdom has not yet been realized. The world is still broken. And like Yancey, we've all been burned and scraped and stung by our encounters with that brokenness. I I love the graphic that our creative team came up with for this series. A gray landscape bumping up against a kaleidoscope of color. The world as it is and the world as it someday will be. And we're living between those times in the diagonal hash marks where those two worlds intersect. As someone put it, we inhabit the boundary between promise and fulfillment. Well, in between is a tough place to be, we're discovering, as we, as we wait for this pandemic to run its course. It's unfamiliar, it's uncertain, it's uncomfortable. Someone came up with uh, this image to illustrate just how uncomfortable in-between times can be. Uh, I'm glad we didn't go with that image for our series graphic. But uh, the book of Isaiah, especially the second half, was written to people in an in-between time. After generations in their own land, the people of Israel found themselves in a strange land, in exile waiting and wondering when they could go home and 
pick up the lives that were so rudely interrupted. Through the prophet, God offered his people promises, promises that would sustain them in that in-between time and, and ultimately lead them home again. And we're discovering that those promises are just as relevant for our times today. So far, we've learned that when we're weary of the in-between time, God promises strength. When we're discouraged by the unfairness of the world, God promises justice. When we're disillusioned by hypocrisy and bad religion, God promises the real thing, relationship with him. But what does God promise us in times of trouble? when we're reminded that the world is still a dangerous place. Well, let's go to Isaiah 43 and find out. Uh, we'll walk our way through the first stanza of this great chapter, and then toward the end of the message, we'll hear a story from a family in our congregation that's been walking through a time of trouble. So listen to the opening words of Isaiah chapter 43, beginning at verse 1. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Now keep in mind that Isaiah is writing these words a couple of hundred years before the nation actually goes into exile. He and they are still living in Judea at the time. But, but the people have hardened their hearts to God, and storm clouds are forming. So Isaiah is given a vision of the hard times to come. And the Lord gives him these words to, to be sealed up, like a message in a bottle, to be opened and read many years later in the pagan land of Babylon. So, so given that background, Imagine how comforting these words must have been. This is what the Lord says, He who created you, Jacob. God reminds them that He created them. It was His decision to bring them into His existence. It was His power that, that made them out of nothing. Think about how protective you feel about something you've made. We've got some pieces of furniture sitting in our garage at home. A desk that I salvaged from the curb and refinished. A wing chair that Karen reupholstered. We haven't used them in years, but we can't bring ourselves to get rid of them because we made them. Well, if that's how we feel about a piece of furniture... Imagine how God feels about us, human beings, made in his image. This is what the Lord says, he who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel. God not only decided to bring us into being, he actually shaped us with his own hands. Remember the language of Genesis, and the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. It's the image of a potter spinning a lump of clay on a wheel, applying pressure and support in just the right places. And that's, that's what God had been doing with Israel 
all along, from the very beginning, through all the ups and downs of their journey, including their exile. And that's what he's doing with each of us as, as we spin round and round on the wheel of life. He's shaping us and he's forming us for a good and unique purpose. If you're in trouble now, in danger now, know that his strong and skilled hands are working with and through everything that's happening. Well, Isaiah continues, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. To redeem is to rescue or recover, to buy back something that's been lost. So when the Israelites heard the word redeemed, they would immediately have thought of the Exodus, how God rescued them from bondage in Egypt, restoring them to himself and returning them to the promised land of Canaan. When we hear the word redeemed, we think of how God rescued us from our sins and failures, how he sent Jesus into the world to find us and and bring us back to God. God's saying, If I redeemed you once, you can count on me to redeem you again. I have summoned you by name, God says. You are mine. So I made you, I formed you, I rescued you, and finally, the most intimate of all, I named you. You're not just a project to me, God says. You're a person. You have a name. You belong to me. You are mine. How reassuring that must have been for the people to hear all of that. In that faraway land, after all they'd been through, and after all they'd put God through. In in the verses leading up to this chapter, God calls out their stubbornness and their idolatry and their rebellion. They had failed miserably and brought this exile on themselves. And yet, after all of that, God still says, you are mine. Well, like some of you, we're watching the final season of This Is Us, the popular series about the Pearson family. In an episode from last season, uh, we find Beth and her teenage daughter Tess having a difficult time with each other. Now, some of it's the usual mother-daughter tension, but it's made more difficult as Tess struggles with her sexuality and as Beth struggles to know how best to relate to her. Well, they come to a difficult moment as they dress for a family wedding. Tess is obviously upset, but won't say why. Beth presses a bit, and Tess says she's she's not comfortable in the dress she's supposed to wear. I don't want to disappoint you, she blurts out to her mother. Beth comes close and says, Stop. You could never disappoint me. I need you to understand that. You could wear shorts to this wedding, okay? You you could root for the Dallas Cowboys. Now, let's see what we can do about that dress. 
It's a tender moment. A mother assuring her daughter that there's nothing she could do that would cause her to stop loving her. And that's the kind of scene Isaiah is describing here. In spite of all that's happened, God still says to his wayward people, you are mine. And he says the same thing to you and me. Now, I I realize that some mothers and fathers have failed to love their children like that. Maybe yours failed in that way. But God is not like any earthly parent. God's love never fails. And that's good to know in a time of trouble. And in the next few verses, God makes three pointed promises to his people. And the first promise is that he will be with us. He'll be with us. Let's look at verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. When James Taylor sings, I've seen fire and I've seen rain, he's referring to all the tough things that can happen to a person on their journey through life. And that's what Isaiah is doing here. By referencing both waters and flames, Isaiah's calling to mind the whole spectrum of troubles we encounter in this world, all the dangers. And the people were experiencing many of those troubles during their sojourn in Babylon. And and we're experiencing some of them too. Uh, The Israelites were a minority people group. So the social order and the scales of justice would have been tipped against them. Ask any person of color today how that feels. They were aliens and foreigners, unfamiliar with the customs and the culture of Babylon. Ask any immigrant today how that feels. Trying to make your way in a new land, starting over, often without the resources or credentials you had in your old world. Their sacred spaces had been taken from them. The temple, all their religious practices were made more difficult. And we all know how that feels, trying to do church the past two years. Their faith in Yahweh was being tested every day by these hardships. Some of them were drifting from their spiritual roots. Their children were being lured away by the gods and ways of the Babylonians. And we worry too about about what impact all of this will have on the church and on the faith of our children. Now, I want to be careful about, uh, about comparing two years of COVID to 70 years of exile. But there are some parallels between their troubles and ours. And the point is, God promised to be with them in that in-between time, 
to not let the waters sweep over them, to not let the flames consume them. And he makes the same promise to us. I know it, it doesn't always feel that way. We don't always sense his presence. Sometimes the flames and the waters feel too much for us. And, and we'll come back to that before we're done here. But for now, God promises to be with us through fire and rain and everything in between. The second thing God promises is to be for us. Verses 3 and 4. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. I'm on your side, the Lord is saying. I, I want what's best for you, which is to bring you back to me. I'll pay any price, God says. I'll do whatever it takes. Uh, when he says, I give Egypt for your ransom, he's looking back on the Exodus, reminding the people that when Egypt refused to let them go, he sent plagues on that nation to release their grip on his people. But he's also looking ahead when he says, I will give nations in exchange for your life. Isaiah is looking ahead 70 years to when God will raise up another nation, Persia, to conquer Babylon and set his people free. Now, now, the people couldn't have imagined such a thing when they heard those words. I mean, Babylon seemed invincible. But, but God is promising here to do whatever it takes to pay any price to get them back. And what Isaiah himself couldn't have imagined was that one day God would send his own son into the world, a son who would give his life as a ransom for many, as a ransom for us. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in a letter he wrote, 700 years after Isaiah. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? However dangerous the world might be, whatever trouble you may find yourself in, Know that God promises to be working for you, even in the in-between times. Now, once again, it, it may not always feel that way. It, it may be hard to see how God can bring anything good out of what's happening in your life right now. And we'll come back to that. But for now, when we find ourselves in a time of trouble, God promises to be with us, and to be for us. But there's one thing more. God promises to see us through. Let's go to verses 5 through 7. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. 
Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Through the prophet, God is promising to bring his people home again, back to the promised land of Canaan. They will not be in exile forever. This in-between time has an end date. How good that must have sounded. Did they believe it? I wonder. Did they really believe that the mighty Babylonian empire would one day be defeated? That they would be free to go home to pick up their lives again? Do we believe it? I wonder. Do we believe that that God is strong enough and wise enough and gracious enough to see us through whatever trouble we find ourselves in? Illness, grief, financial difficulty, family strife, depression, doubt, COVID. Can I get a bit pastoral for just a minute here as we as we try to apply this promise to our own in-between time as a church. We're coming up on the two-year mark of this pandemic. It's been a challenging season. We went 14 months with our physical campuses closed, 23 months without passing an offering plate. We've been back in person for a handful of months, which has been great, but only about half of our folks have been ready or able to return in person. And that's what I hear from just about every pastor I talk to. That means it's been nearly two years since I've seen many of your faces. Now, you've seen mine, I know, on the screen, maybe closer up than you'd like, but but I haven't seen yours. And, And you haven't seen each other in person, many of you. And when we do see each other, we have these crazy masks on. We haven't been able to to gather in each other's homes or to throw our arms around each other in the lobby. It's been hard. But God has seen us through, hasn't he? We haven't missed a Sunday. Our groups have continued to grow and to gather on Zoom. We're holding our own financially even while giving away hundreds of thousands of dollars to people in need. We've had some memorable experiences online, Easter in a graveyard. We've connected with thousands of people digitally we might never have reached otherwise. We formed working relationships with service agencies all over the region, doing lots of good in Jesus' name including helping 25 Afghan families, exiles themselves, to restart their lives in a new land. And and we can look forward to the time, hopefully in the not-too-distant future, when God will bring us all back together again. Maybe for Easter, that's what I'm hoping for. But sooner or later, one way or another, God will see us through. Because he promises to do that, to bring his sons from afar and his daughters from the ends of the earth. Now, as as we pointed out a couple of weeks ago, and as we're discovering again today, God doesn't promise immunity from trouble or the absence of danger. In fact, we can pretty much expect 
deep waters and fiery trials in this life. What he does promise is to see us through, to get us to the other side, to fulfill his good purpose for us and to bring us home. I, I, I've been struggling to come up with one word that, that captures this promise. So far we've learned that God promises strength. He promises justice. He promises his presence, a real relationship with him. What we're learning today, I think, is that when we're in trouble, God promises deliverance. And to, to deliver something is to bring it from one place to another. Delivering something is different from sending something. When you send something, you let go of it. You let someone else do the work. Deliverance is personal. It's hands-on. You deliver a present. You deliver a speech. You deliver a baby. Deliverance requires personal involvement every step of the way. And that's what God promises us, to deliver us personally from where we are to where we need to be to bring us through trouble, to bring us through and in between time, and ultimately, to bring us through from this life to the next. This past year, I've, I've had the privilege of walking alongside several people who've lost loved ones, maybe to COVID or to, to some other danger or illness. And it, it's been heartbreaking to watch as they've walked through those deep waters and dark valleys. But they have all testified in one way or another that God has been with them in all of it and that God has seen them through and, and brought their loved one home. So when we're in trouble, God promises to be with us to be for us, and to see us through. God promises deliverance. Well, speaking of promises, I, I promised you'd hear a story from someone in our own congregation. So, so why don't we do that now, and then I'll come back and wrap things up. My name is Lydia Ferreira. I'm from Brazil originally, and I have been attending Grace Chapel since 2017. After we started to come to Grace Chapel, um, we faced uh, a terrible time because my husband became very, very ill, and he was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin lymphoma in 2016. He became very ill in 2019. One day, I was attending a barbecue, um, Grace Chapel barbecue, I remember, and I received a call from him from work, uh, asking me to bring him to the hospital. And after a week in the hospital, he had a seizure and went to coma. And when he came back from coma, Pastor Stephen was the first one who saw my husband after he was out of coma. And to receive that kind of support was amazing. And then my husband spent six, almost a year in the hospital. Uh, during that time, we, uh, we lost our most important income that came from my husband. We didn't have money to pay for bill, my, our bills and our rent. 
and the Grace Chapel helped us financially, um, and that was amazing too. Uh, but during the time that my husband was in the hospital, I, I made a decision to keep coming to the church. And I, I really like to attend the church here. I serve um, with the worship team, and I decided to continue to come uh, singing with our team, crying during the service time, but, I, but it's better to stay here and to keep coming and then stay in the hospital at home crying by myself. And also, uh, during that time, uh, one of our family members um, faced mental ill and, uh, and that was very, very difficult for us. And once again, we received support from church. I remember that I, I didn't know what to do, um, but I know that I was um, strong enough because God could provide me the strength that I need to continue. And my husband has been at home f uh, since uh, May 2020. And during that time also, we decided to talk about this kind of peace that God provides, that no matter what you, you can go through, uh, God will always be by our side. And that's amazing too. Well, Lydia and her family found themselves in a time of trouble. Serious illness, financial crisis, mental health issues, and all of it made more difficult because of COVID. But in that time, they found that God was with them and for them in all kinds of ways. Through the care and support of God's people, through the ministry and the experience of worship, through the, the unexplainable spiritual and emotional strength that, that kept them going. Now, there were plenty of tears and fears along the way, and, and they're not out of the woods yet. But God is seeing them through and forming and using them for his purposes. Philip Yancey is right. The world is a dangerous place. And, and, and he spent a lot of years working through the hurts and hardships of his life. He goes on in the book to describe a, a home life that was borderline abusive and the toxic religious environments he found himself in. There were times he wondered if, if his faith would survive it all, if he would survive it all. Some of his earlier book titles reveal the struggles he went through along the way disappointment with God. Where is God when it hurts? The question that never goes away, why? I remember reading those books as a young Christian and a young pastor, struggling with the realities of life and faith and the, and the ways of God. Well, Yancey gives us permission to ask those questions, to feel those feelings when we're going through hard times, when we're languishing in between, when we're wondering if God will ever come through. 
But when the dust settled from all those questions, like a ray of sunshine filtering through the cracks of a barn door, the light fell on Yancey. God found him and brought him through, delivered him to a place where he's been able to inspire and encourage thousands of others on their journeys of faith, including me. When we're in trouble, when we're in an in-between time, God promises to be with us, to be for us, and to see us through. Let's pray about that. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us this morning. Thank you for the freedom to wrestle with these questions and the realities of life. Thank you for seeing us through to where we are today and and for the promise that you will bring us the rest of the way. I pray, Lord, for any who might find themselves in a time of trouble right now, today. May they know today and right now that you are with them and for them. In Jesus' name, amen.